This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Hi, guys. Today, we've got a very special guest for you on the podcast. His name is John Cooper. So if that name is not familiar to you, it should be because he is the lead vocalist and bassist for the twice Grammy-nominated and 12-time platinum-selling band Skillet. So Skillet is actually one of the best-selling and most-streamed rock bands of the 21st century. They are an incredibly successful band. But guys, in this podcast, we don't get into a lot of that. I mean, we talk a little bit about Skillet, we talk a little bit about music, but we talk about a lot of other things. Because one thing about John is he's kind of inched his way into the podcast space, but also the the theology space and the being critical of the church space. He's actually gone viral a couple of times over the last maybe three or four months because he's been talking about things that are very, very important for the church. He's talking about pastors. He's talking about how a lot of pastors are just worried about being cool. They're not necessarily worried about spreading the gospel. They're, they're just trying to make people feel good. And so we spend a lot of time talking about that. And he also has a new book that he has self-published called Awake and Alive to Truth. And so this is kind of, I think, as he described it, theology for dummies, but it just makes apologetics a little bit more digestible for a lot of people. And I feel like there's a lot of points that are made in that book that a lot of us can get down with and a lot of us can understand where he's coming from. But it was a very interesting conversation because, again, most interviews with John Cooper are just about, hey, it's cool that skill has been around since the 90s, huh? And, you know, what's it like touring with your wife and taking your kids out? And all that stuff is very cool. All those are very, very important topics and fun things to talk about. But I figured in our time today that you guys would want to hear about a little bit more of some of those deeper level things. So guys, without further ado, let's get into it. John Cooper, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. What is up? It's cool to be here with you. Well, man, I'm happy to be here with you. And specifically, I just told you off air, but I feel like I've been surrounded by John Cooper as of late. And it doesn't have to do with the thing that most people know you by, which is your music. So I don't want to give short shrift to your music. I feel like that's a good place for us to start. But there are a lot of other topics that I know my audience wants to get into. But obviously, you're the front man and one of the founders of Skillet, which is legitimately one of the most successful rock bands of the modern era. Uh, you know, it kind of fits into that new metal category, even though you probably have some other categories that you would be comfortable being included in. But there was another interview that you did, and I, I can't remember which podcast off the top of my head. Um, and you were talking a lot about early on in your career where you you were part ownership of a venue or something like that. And that venue had a lot of the solid state and tooth and nail bands that would come through. And you're talking to a solid state kid. My favorite band of all time is Zayo. I loved Embodiment. <laughs> I loved Living Sacrifice, like those types of bands, Norma Jean, especially when Josh Goggin was still on there. But I just remember you talking about how the overwhelming majority of the guys that you met from those bands were not believers. Uh, these were not Christians. And I remember hearing other stories about, I think it was embodiment specifically where they said, well, we just kind of had to make a call where we could have done these bar shows and got paid two or 300 bucks, or we can do a church show and get paid 12 or 1500 bucks. And so we just, you know, decided not to cuss in our music and we didn't drink around the pastors when we were introduced, but kind of take us through what that was like <laughs> for you, because you're one of those legitimate Christians that you, you've been a follower, a disciple of Jesus from a very young age. What was that like for you running a venue where these people were kind of just basically posturing? Right. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, I don't know. I think I might feel bad for you that you've been surrounded by John Cooper for the last uh, month or so. <laughs> okay. it, it's probably not good. Uh, probably a little too much Coop. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, you know, and I probably will say uh, before we jump in, uh, I, I probably wouldn't say that I had personal, um, in other words, all the bands you just mentioned 
I don't know if I've met any of those bands, but none of them I, I don't think are, are any of the bands that I was referring to. Um, and of course, we're speaking in generalizations, but I just sure. want to make, make that clear. I don't I remember those bands, Zayo and Living Sacrifice for sure, but I never met them. But but you're right. You know, um, I wasn't an owner. It was basically my pastor. He had a heart for evangelism heart for discipleship, heart for the kingdom of God, but he loved music and he believed that music was a, a very viable way to share the gospel. And, and of course I did as well. And so I was very impacted by my pastor and he ran a, a like a little club in the basement of the church, but it got to be fairly big. I mean, we'd have two, three, 400 people, in, you know, a, a night and, and on a big, big night, we'd have 800 packed into that little room it was the 90s so you know mid yeah. mid to late 90s was great for rock music for little clubs and coffee houses everybody mosh you know there's nowhere to even stand you know i mean you could barely you couldn't move you just stood there everybody ran into each other it's quite fun anyway um great era for music great era for christian music right we had you had uh, as you said tooth and nail you had all of these fringe sounds metal death metal, speed metal, but also alternative and, and very out of the box. Sixpence Done the Richer, before they became a big mainstream act, was one of the bands we had come into our club uh, just doing very out of the box mm -hmm. Christian music. It was pretty exciting, but it was really disheartening, really, really disheartening at the amount of people, bands that I spoke with that I, I, I just thought, I don't know if any of these guys are saved or maybe one of them is maybe some of them had a church background, but none of these people, I shouldn't say none of them, excuse me. That's not true. Some of the people I, I did make great right. connections with Sonny from POD is somebody I made a good connection with. There were people that loved Jesus, but more often than not, I was just like, why would you do this kind of music if you're not passionate about Christ? If Christ hasn't changed your life, right. then before you go on stage, I would love to share the gospel with you. And maybe maybe get, you could get saved and maybe God could change your life. It was really disheartening. And so it kind of gave me a bad taste for Christian music uh, and realizing that just because you have the label of Christian musician doesn't mean that we're about the same things. Because I am all about the real Christian life. If not, then what, what are we, what are we wasting our time for playing Christian music? If we are not changed on the inside. Yeah. And I think I, I was a little bit dismissive whenever I just added all these bands and put them in this gigantic category. Cause obviously there were believers and then there were, there were bands with Christians in them, but they would not have called themselves a Christian band. You know, I have Matt sure. Griner, who's the drummer of August Burns Red, who's a big supporter of what we do. And they're, you know, not everybody in that band kind of believes the same thing in the same way. And so they, they're not a Christian band as you would probably think of as a Christian band. But I even remember you brought up Sonny with POD. I remember when POD was, it was announced early on that they were going to go on tour with Corn. This was, I think, around the Satellite album when that was released. Yeah. And my my head was, I was like, no, no, you can't do that. If you go out on the you're with Corn, <laughs> you're going to start, you know, sacrificing children on the altar uh, at the show, and you're going to do all these <laughs> weird things. But it was it was an opportunity, and I remember Sonny talking about this as an opportunity to get to get in front of a, another audience that you would otherwise get in front of, and that's how you do spread the gospel. And that was one thing that was interesting about your book, which I, I guess now would be a good time to transition to that, but you just released a book not that long ago called Awaken Alive to Truth, Finding Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World. And you, it's a very 
accessible book. It's an apologetic book. It's also a little bit autobiography and it's, it kind of gives you a little bit of information on kind of philosophy as well, kind of modern philosophies of how we do things. But from the very beginning, if, if you wouldn't even just mind just briefly, you didn't publish this with some big Christian publisher, right? I and mean, we'll leave them nameless, but I know that there was interest in that. But the, the gist that I got from you is that the content, once they saw the content, they were just like, whoa, this is maybe a little bit too much for us. And then you went the self-publishing route. So first of all, if I've got any part of the story incorrect, go ahead and correct the record. But what was the process like for you getting Awaken Alive to Truth out to us? <laughs> no, you're, you're actually, I mean, correct. Um, and I and I won't, of course, throw, any, throw anybody under the bus either. But I, and I, I will say this one thing. I don't know why they wouldn't publish it. So you, I think one could make an assumption that perhaps... Mm. This was it was just too I don't know on the nose or maybe it was too raw maybe it was too I don't know <laughs> didn't pull any punches but I find it really strange because I'm sure you know listeners probably know I mean these days the very if you're a publishing company the best thing that you want to do is you want to you want to sign somebody who already has a base you know, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. if you're a publishing company, you want to sign somebody that's got a great book and you want to try to create a brand with that person. These days it's different because of social media. You either have a brand or you don't have a brand, right? And so publishing companies mm -hmm. want to sign with people who have a brand. And if you don't have a brand, they say, hey, we want you to go out, create a brand, get your social media thing going, and then we'll talk to you because you've already done the work for them. Well, here's the weird thing is I already have a brand. I've already got a name. I've already got followers. So mm -hmm. I thought these companies will really want to do a book with me. And and they did and, until they saw it. And so when they saw it, they, they were like, yeah, this isn't really what we want to do. And I, I thought it's either A, they just don't think it can, it can sell. They don't think it's good. And, and that's viable. They might not think it's good. Or B, this is just a little too much truth and I don't know what the answer is. So I don't want to uh, you know, demean people's heart motives, but I found that pretty depressing. Um, but because I know, I know that we could sell books with them. So it makes me wonder why that would be, but I found it a, a little bit, uh, it got me down a little bit. What the book is about is a simple, I call it theology for dummies. You know, like you don't have to sit through a, a big, thick John Calvin or Burkhoff systematic theology mm -hmm. book. Uh, a lot of people just can't do that. They, they don't have either the brain for that. And, and I can relate to that. I didn't graduate college. I failed out of college. Thankfully, God rescued me and gave me a music career <laughs> God, because yeah. I'm just not smart enough to sit in college and do well. Just couldn't. So it's not for, um, for academic people. People that can't sit through a big book like that are like, what are we talking about? The Bible is supposed to be understandable for people who were fishermen people who were tax collectors, because that's what the disciples were like. These weren't the smartest people in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so the Bible should be accessible to the ordinary person that is not a genius. You don't have to be smart to understand who Jesus Christ is. He comes to, to normal lay people like me and like a lot of people listening, I hope, people that are just ordinary folks. So my book kind of mm -hmm. gives you a theology for dummies. This is what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus. And this is why you need to be a follower of Jesus. So the book goes through original sin. It explains to us why we need to repent for our sins and a little bit of the philosophies of the day. The reason that 
things are so different now than they were 10 years ago. Cause it, everybody knows this. It feels like the whole world has been turned upside down and it has been. And there's some reasons for that philosophically and they're, they're worth, they're worth talking about. I absolutely agree with that. And I mean, 10 years ago, two years ago, I don't recognize the America that we live in now. I don't recognize the America from two months ago. I mean, not, <laughs> we're not going to go down a political path, but um, since Joe Biden and his administration, this has kind of turned into a, a third Barack Obama administration, but there's some really scary things that are happening uh, with with a lot of things. And I promise we're not going political. So I want to circle back to the book because I, I think you were right in that there is a lot of truth here, but it is very accessible. It's very digestible. It's a short book, guys. We're going to have it on the show notes. You got to make sure you go and pick it up because you can only buy it directly from the website that we give to you. But in chapter five, I want to go over a couple of different quotes, but one's from chapter five and the name of that chapter is simply irresistible. But in that chapter, you're talking about the danger of emotion especially too much emotion, especially if that emotion is driving your face. So let me read this quote to you. Quote, let me say something that may shock you. The Christian who does not know what God loves and hates is in danger of believing that God approves of evil things. Time after time, I have witnessed self-proclaimed Jesus lovers follow their emotions into a path of sin. And after reaping the consequences, I've watched in disbelief as they blamed God for all of their problems, unquote. So can you tease that out a little bit more for us? Because I absolutely agree with that. But why, where did that come from that made you want to write it and include it in the book? Yeah, it's uh I think that a lot of Christians today are uh, completely uncomfortable with even the statement that God hates. Like God hates fill in the blank, right? We right. uh they're uncomfortable with that. You know, God is love, he doesn't hate stuff. Yes, he does. We know what he hates because he gave us uh, his own words. He he and he hates a lying tongue. You know, he gives us tons of lists of sin, their idolatry, sexual immorality. God gives us these things and he says, I hate these things. And he loves justice. God loves righteousness. So a lot of Christians are very uncomfortable with the idea that there are things that God hates. I, I think it comes from a wrong theology. And 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 I don't want to get total deep into theology here, but it comes from an idea that one of God's attributes can sort of be the pinnacle. So in other words, we know that God is love because the Bible says that, right? People put that at the top of the attribute pyramid. God is love at the top and everything else is subordinate to his love. That is an incorrect way at looking at God. God is at all times everything that he is. There's never a time when God stops being loving. But we also know that God will judge, right? We know that there will be a day of judgment when right. God when God will separate his people and the people that are not his people. And so in that sense, would it be okay to say God is loving even when he is sending someone to hell? I say yes, that's absolutely accurate. God is even loving when he does that because God can never stop being loving. So uh, it comes from a, um, a, a theological, um, uh, I think, problematic, you know, belief. It, it's coming from that, that wrong theological place, but it works out in this, yeah, but 
I don't feel good about that. I don't feel good about a God that right. that says that this is this is righteous and this is unholy. And I don't feel good about a God that says you may not do these things. And so that is that's what that chapter is about. It's not about what you feel. It's about what is objectively righteous according to God's words. If God says it, it's right. And you know what else is amazing? Because I right. don't want to just sound like I'm being mean. Um, when we come in line with whatever God says is righteous, we are going to find that our lives are much better. We are going to have much more joy. We're going to be blessed more. We're going to have better relationship with our spouse, with our kids, with our finances. Everything is going to work better because you are saying, uh, you are saying to God, you are the Lord, whatever you say is right. And I will fall in line with what you say. You will find that your life is actually going much better than if you are your own right. God. So that's why I wrote that. Well, but in the modern context, John, like if you can't look for truth outside yourself because it's your truth, right? Your yes. truth is important. Your lived experience. It's it's when the church and culture is downstream of postmodernism, right? Or just the church being downstream of culture in general. That's where you get these sentiments. And we'll certainly get more into that here in a second, uh, you know, with this next quote, but also when we, we talk about some of your Facebook posts that have made the rounds here recently. But another quote that I did want to get into from the book was from chapter eight, which was my favorite chapter of the book. It's called Jesus the Lion. So obviously I got a lion head over my shoulder. We <laughs> constantly encourage people with undaunted life to seek the Lion of Judah, not because the Lamb of God is wrong, but if you only worship the Lamb of God, you're worshiping an incomplete picture of who Jesus is. He is 100% Lamb and 100% Lion, not 50-50, not 75-25. He's 100% of both. And so I feel like you really elucidated that a lot within that chapter. But I do want to read this quote from this and get you to kind of go into it a little bit further. It says, quote, in our modern churches, we shy away from the harshness of the reality of sin. And we tend to focus more on the fact that Jesus understands our pain and forgives our sin. Now, it is indeed wonderful news that Jesus understands and forgives. However, the more we soften his words about his hatred for sin, including anger, the less we understand our depravity and the state of our sin, unquote. I felt like that was very important. And it really went back to a lot of things that you just said with your previous answer. But why did you feel the need to drive that point home, especially in the context of the modern church? Yeah, it is so very important because we have kind of created, I know because of what your podcast is about, I know you won't mind me saying this, we've created a just a hippie, soft, kind of a wimpy Jesus, you know? I mean, now that's not to say, again, it is wonderful that Jesus knows my pain. That is an incredible thing. The God of the universe cares what John Cooper is going through today. You know, I got in a mm -hmm. fight with my wife before the podcast, right? Because I'm sometimes not a good husband. God actually cares about the fact that I'm having a hard day. That is actually amazing stuff. But God is not, Jesus wasn't a wimp. He wasn't like, whatever you want is okay with me. Just live your best life. Mm -hmm. That is not <laughs> what we're talking about. I wanna, I'll tell you a, a true story. This happened last week. You want to hear this? Let's do it. There's a guy that started coming to my church and a brand new guy. I invited him to come to my young adults group. I, me and my wife lead a young adults group at my church since we've been home for COVID. So he comes to my young adults church. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. So I tried explaining to him what the Trinity was because he said, 
well, I've always heard that you could pray to God. He said, but John, you, you pray to Jesus. Why am I praying to Jesus? Or, and, or is it okay to pray to Jesus or do I have to pray to God? So I was trying to explain to him who Jesus was. So I gave him some reading material. I said, start in the book of John. So he started in the book of John and he came back the next week, which was last week and which I preached at church. And before the meeting, he said, he said, he came up to me and he said, Hey, John, I've been reading the book of John and this Jesus is so amazing the way he loves people. And, and I said, that's so great. And then I preached and I preached on Revelation 19. And if people don't know what Revelation 19 is, that's when it says that Jesus <laughs> comes riding on a white horse in judgment and to wage war. And he comes up to me after the church meeting and he says, well, I thought I had this Jesus thing figured out. But now it sounds like he's almost like a warrior. And I said, well, that's the thing. He loves perfectly and he judges perfectly. He is the warrior king. And so it is very important that we understand that the love of God is amazing. But the justice of God is also amazing because without the justice of God, we would serve a God who approves of, of hatred and anger, and and rape, and murder, and child abuse, and sexual abuse. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but if God doesn't judge those things, that means that God approves of those things. He lets them slide. And now that's a God that's devoid of justice. So yes, he is love, but he is also righteous. And that's something that we as Christians should celebrate. And it's, it's that lack of understanding. That's when you get pieces of who God is. That's when, you know, when he came full of grace and truth, again, he was 100% grace and 100% truth. You can't have one without the other. They're not opposite sides of the same coin. They're the same side of the same coin. And so I thought that that was very, very good. And guys, we'll move on past the book, but you've got to go pick up your own copy of Awaken Alive to Truth. Again, check it out in the show notes. But as I mentioned to, uh, to you off air and at the beginning of this, I feel like I've been surrounded by you. One of the reasons is because of a, a somewhat recent Facebook post that you made that made the rounds. And that was on November 6th of 2020. And the name of the post was make pastors uncool again. Okay. And so this post was a short post, but it was very pointed and this was shared around and shared with me. And so I certainly want to get your, your thoughts on this a little bit further because there were a lot of people that were okay with the things that you said, they agreed with it. And then you made a lot of people angry. You ruffled a lot of feathers. Again, it's kind of that truth versus making people comfortable thing. But let me read this quote to you. I think this was the second paragraph of the post and this is it quote. Many Christians have been saying this for years, and it's past time that I join them. I'm tired of celebrity pastors. Pastors aren't supposed to be cool. They're not supposed to be fashion trendsetters. We are all called to decrease that Christ would increase both in our hearts and in our lives. John 3.30. His fame should be known, not ours. Celebrity pastors, get out of the way. You're hogging the spotlight by making yourself the story. Instead, you should take some hits from the front lines by stating clearly what God commands. Celebrity pastors seldom do this. Instead, most of what we hear is rhetorical gobbledygook, veiled mysticism, and repackaged New Age movement self-help promotional material disguised as the work of the Spirit. And so... Immediately when I read that section, I couldn't help but think of Carl Lentz. Um, this was a guy that years and years ago, I wrote a, a blog for a group called Dead Men. Um, and I was talking about how Carl Lentz was the most dangerous pastor in the United States. And they changed the title of it without me knowing. And they said, we're just going to say he's one of, or he might be. But I thought he was so dangerous because of how cool he was. 
And because he was this trendy New York guy and, oh, he hangs out with Bieber and he hangs out with KD and, oh, look how cool he is. But then when he goes on The View and he's staring down the barrel of Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg and he's asked about abortion, oop, he just turns into a little little boy. You know, he's just kind of walking around, doesn't know which way is up. He had a, a moment at that time to talk about the sanctity of human life and he made some sort of weird postmodern nonsense argument. And so, again, I want to get back to what you wrote, but in that specific section there, was there somebody in particular you were thinking about or was it just this macro category of these influencer Instagram pastors that have these congregations that are kind of acting in this way? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think what you just said, <laughs> what you just said is great. And I would have loved to have read that article that you wrote a couple of year, uh, years back, you said, because th there is both the, the generalization. We, we all see this happening. You know, we can we can see it. But I did write it after the the Carl Lentz thing really blew up, and mm -hmm. and and it, it that was the impetus for it. it wasn't about him, but yeah, I, I kind of think, hey, I mean, we've all noticed this happening, and you know, I think I said I said in, in some <laughs> some interview I I did I said if you're not prepared as a as a celebrity pastor to answer a question on abortion. I mean, that doesn't make any sense uh, that th this yeah. is your job. And I said, any pastor that spends more time doing sit-ups than how he would answer a question about abortion on national TV, that you're in the wrong profession. And I, I, I do know there were some people that maybe didn't like what I wrote. I honestly don't understand why, because yeah, you should act appropriately for what your job is. I know some people said, oh, John, you're allowed to look cool, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, I'm not a pastor. My job is being an entertainer. That's my actual job. And I'm supposed to look appropriately for the job. If your job is pastoring people, your job is understanding the times. It is training up men and women to be disciples of Christ. And it is about taking hits on the front line. You're the ones that, that are supposed to be saying what we lay people need to hear. And when I see these pastors ducking and dodging, constantly ducking and dodging like they're in a boxing match and well i'm gonna yeah let's duck this duck that like come on T say the truth so you can be the one to take the hits and train us i i that just really bugs me and i just i i those wimpy pastors I, we just i just don't have time for those people anymore it reminds me of that scripture it's in the old testament what's the scripture um the prophets Remember the prophets that, that say there's peace when there is no peace? I, I believe it's in Isaiah, right? And God says, hey, I'm basically, I'm coming on judgment against my own people because your prophets mm -hmm. said that there was peace when there is no peace. That's what I see many, right. many of our pastors doing. God, God is not saying there's peace. We are not supposed to be at peace with the ideologies of the world. So stop acting like there's peace when there is none. Well, and part of that, John, is because I've been very critical of some of these megachurch pastors that aren't taking on, I don't want to just, you know, use that as a conglomerate because there's some, you know, really good megachurch pastors. That's why yes. they're mega because they're awesome. But the thing is, is when you won't tackle 
the true issues of the day, how can you expect your flock to? And so you've got, I've got an enormous church in my backyard. I think it's still, you know, a multi-site church. That's, you know, the largest church in the, in North America. And, you know, the, the church doesn't really like to take positions on LGBTQ issues, on race issues. They, they don't really like to go into those things. And if they do, they kind of like dip a toe in and then hop right back out, or it's very generalized stuff. And I understand we got to keep the doors open. We got to keep paying the bills, but at a certain point you have to stand up and do something that's going to make you and potentially some of your flock uncomfortable and maybe even get some of them to not come back, which I think plays into what you said really at the end. And I think this is how you wrapped it up. I'll I'll read the quote. Playtime is over. The spiritual battle is raging and the field is full of wimps and boys who have never picked up a sword because it just feels mean. We need generals and leaders who don't care about their brand, their look, their likes, or making allegiances with the world. In short, it's time to make pastors uncool again. Now, to to kind of go to a different degree, I think where you and I might disagree, and, and maybe we're just saying the same thing, but saying it differently, is I'm honestly okay with pastors being cool and being celebrities. Like, I would much rather, John, that when Fox News or CNN or the New York Times needs a quote or or some sort of context on a big issue, like, I would rather them go to a prominent, smart, dedicated disciple of Christ as opposed to some lefty professor from some random college or some quote-unquote public servant to get their take on it. I would rather a gospel-believing Christian do that. I mean, am I crazy? Can all of these things happen at the same time? Absolutely. No, I totally agree with that. I think, I don't think we disagree. Well, I I don't think we disagree about that. Um, I do think that maybe sometimes, you know, when you're writing an article, you know, semantics can play a a big role Mm -hmm. in things. And, and yeah, I probably would say it like this, like, I don't actually care personally if someone looks really cool. To me, it's an issue of the heart. And and I think Mm -hmm. that that's what I think, even though I don't know you that well, sounds to me like that's what you were picking up on a few years ago when you wrote what you did about uh, the most, or one of the most, uh, what'd you call it, dangerous pastors. I I think what you pick up on is like, hey, I don't actually care if you've got six pack abs or not. If you do, that's fine with me, as long as that's not what your life is about. And you can smell it. You can smell it when that's what people's lives are about because Mm -hmm. they, they just... They just have this thing like like they're always looking for how they can build their brand. And and that's really irritating to me. At, at, at the same time, I've met a bunch of very famous people, very, very famous people who don't smell like that. They might act, I'll tell you who, uh, this is a good example. I love to brag on people that I think are godly. Um, one of my really good friends is a Christian singer called Jeremy Camp. I assume a lot of people know who Jeremy Camp is. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy's, he, I, I call him the, uh, I always call him the American dream because he, he just like looks like an American <laughs> polo model or something, you know, and he's ripped. He's got huge <laughs> biceps and he's good looking. He's got the white teeth. He's a great singer. Everything Jeremy does, he's good at. But you can talk with Jeremy for 30 seconds and know this is not a guy that ca- actually cares about being a rock star. He doesn't actually care about looking amazing. He just happens to be a great looking rip dude, but he loves Jesus. And so, no, I agree with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with actually being a 
famous person. You know what I mean? Uh, I think C.S. Lewis was kind of a famous person. Um, G.K. Chesterton, mm -hmm. very famous philosopher, one of my favorite philosophers that, who was Christian, uh, Catholic, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with actually the fame or actually the way you look. It's more like the heart motive of people that are more interested in their own brand than the fame of Christ. And you can smell that stuff a mile away, man. I mean, I completely agree with that. And part of the thing is, is we've, we've become so attracted to the basic things in life. That's why someone can write a book that says nothing and sell 5 million copies of it because it's, it's not actually going to challenge me to change anything. So I just read a book recently and uh, I'll probably leave it nameless because I may talk to this guy eventually, but it's a, <laughs> it's a massive bestseller. It has been a bestseller for over a year, but it's talking about pretty basic things. He could have named the book, How to Be an Adult. That's how basic the things were. And I just read this book and I was like, I didn't need any of this. Oh, so you're telling me I should brush my teeth and floss every day? Great. Check. Is there anything else that I should move around? And I feel like a lot of pastors, they stay in that super basic area and they just keep feeding the flock and the people around them milk. And so they'll attract hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers across all their social media platforms, because it's just milk. They're just throwing milk out because if they started throwing out prime rib, some people would be like, that doesn't make me feel good. I don't think right. I like that very much. <laughs> and it's just like that we, we can't operate in that way. And so I think it comes down to, to one of the main things I did want to talk to you about, which is basically just manhood in general, in general, or masculinity in the church, because you mentioned this earlier, there's seemingly this abundance of soft, squishy men in the modern day church. And that's almost seen as the model. Like when you think about the typical church guy, everyone has the same guy in mind, right? The, the press shirt, the press shirt, the, the pleats in the pants and you know, the, the, the shoes that have never seen dirt and like, just, Hey, I'll pray for your brother and everything's going great. <laughs> and like, it's, it's this idea to where like these manly men, a lot of the men that are the reason why I started undaunted life, they, they ask this question of, well, should I be a Christian or should I be a man? And they don't understand that those can be the same thing. And so I guess from your perspective, why would a manly man want to become a Christian or be a Christian? That is very, very interesting. Um, I probably would hold, I probably would hold a few things in tension here. And you know how it is when you want to explain everything you think and you want to cover bases. I will hold a couple things in tension. I will absolutely admit that the church, and not just church, even just in the world, you know, uh, what do you want to call it? The patriarchy, whatever. Obviously, there's a lot of things that, that we did wrong over the last several hundred years. Obviously, there was a time when women were treated very poorly in the church as well. Um, almost like you're not smart enough to have an opinion, those type things. You know, a lot of people my age grew up in a household, even in a Christian household where the, the mom's opinion was just looked at. It wasn't just that the man was, was in charge. The mom was just kind of looked at as like, uh, you're not smart enough to know stuff. Of course, that kind of stuff. sexual abuse. Of course, those things existed. Has the church not done a great job in the past? You know, I think the last few years we saw a lot of things in the SBC come out about women that were abused and it was hushed. All of that is wicked. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that we need to overcorrect and throw out all of the wonderful things that the Bible says about manhood that is actually glorifying to God. The fact that a man 
is supposed to, I'm going to say it, is supposed to be the head of the family. That is a godly thing that God created, that a man is supposed to protect his wife. Now, in, in culture today, outside of the church, even saying that is viewed as a sexist statement. Uh, uh, yeah, a man should protect his wife. They say, well, a wife should protect her husband too. Well, not in the same way. <laughs> no, actually, that's that's not exactly right. accurate. Not in the same way. That's your duty. If you're if uh, if somebody breaks into your house and 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 you say to your wife, "Why don't you go check it out?" That that's a dereliction of duty, son. It's not the same. And so we should not mm. be throwing out the beautiful things that are actually really godly about manhood and about womanhood. God created those distinctions to glorify Himself. So I I I I don't want to ever say, "Hey, we never did anything wrong," but don't. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, because I will say this to Christian men who are married. The Bible says it like this. If I, if I am not soft with my wife and listen to my wife's concerns, then God won't listen to my prayers. That's a pretty big responsibility. I'm supposed to be soft with her, but I'm not supposed to be soft. You know what? I'm not supposed to be a wimp and I'm not supposed to have a dereliction of duty. So I do think that within Christianity, I just think that a lot of people have realized that if we want to make peace with the world, that we can make peace with the world if we just uh, chop off the fat. You know, how they say that. Why don't you get chop off the fat? And that's all the parts of the of the steak that 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 are just not comfortable with people. And I do think that that's going to be with whether we talk about sexuality and when we talk about the patriarchy. There's all those issues. Hell. And I think they thought, let's just trim all the fat off and talk about the culturally acceptable things, and then we can win more people. You know, the problem is, is that we we are actually trimming off a lot of things we should not be trimming out of the gospel. So what I would say to men, why, why would a man want to come into the church? Well, I hear you. The church isn't doing the best job at celebrating manhood because the world views manhood as a cardinal sin. And the church is too scared to say it's not. And I think even beyond that, I, I agree with literally all of that. Beyond that, I feel like the churches have done a really poor job, the, the main pastors especially, of making churches man-friendly. And so I've talked to several pastors that have created kind of man-friendly environments, and it's where they focus on the men. And by focus on the men, I don't mean once a year they do a cookout or, you know, every Saturday at 7 a.m. they do a, you know, a prayer breakfast or once a month or something like that. I'm, I mean, really making the entire environment man friendly. And that's why I talked a lot about that on episode 176 of my podcast. I did an episode called Contemporary Worship Music is for Women and Effeminate, and, and effeminate Men. And so the reason why I went into that is because I wanted to put forth this message. And the main message of that episode was if you don't like contemporary worship music, that's okay. Because there's this attitude that if you don't like contemporary worship music that I, I've had a worship pastor tell me before that since I don't like contemporary worship music, that I'm probably not saved. And and on this episode, I went into some different uh, topics. I, I kind of gave the top eight problems with contemporary worship music. And just some of them were, you know, it becomes the reason why some people go to our particular church because of the music or, you know, the lyrics reduce the God of all creation to kind of like your buddy, or, you know, it puts the attention on you. 
And then I gave my top five reasons for why contemporary worship music is for women and effeminate men. And it was number one, women literally consume more of it than men do, right? That's just statistics. Number two, there's an emphasis on emotions and feeling. Number three, it's all lamb and no lion, right? Which we talked about. Number four is the music is written and or performed typically by effeminate men or women. And the lyrical content tends to be homoerotic. And so that, what I mean by that is like, if you're singing to Jesus, like he's your boyfriend and you're a manly dude, a very straight testosterone filled dude, that's not really going to agree with you. And I went on to kind of give some prescriptions for worship leaders to consider and what men like, like me should consider that aren't in that category. So I say all that to say this, I will boil it down to a question here. What are your thoughts personally on contemporary worship music? And do you think that it's having a negative impact, especially on the men inside the church? Well, that's pretty insightful stuff. I, I should I need to go I need to go back and listen to that episode because I haven't thought about um, some of those things. Very insightful. You know, oh, this is so difficult for me. Um, I certainly understand what you're saying. I, I I I didn't know. I've never heard anybody say if you don't like this the contemporary worship, then maybe you're not saved, or maybe this. I've not heard things like that. I definitely think that a lot of what's happening in church, let me let me answer your question by giving you a, a totally different story. And I think that you'll understand. Okay, yeah. It's kind of analogous. I was dealing with a situation in my church with uh, someone, just a, a, a lay person in the church that was uncomfortable with some of the way that I was answering uh, a question because I was just like, no, this is what the Bible says and blah, blah, blah. And so... Uh, long story short, we pulled up another pastor, uh, who answered the question and I won't say it was cause it, people might have sounded mean, but it was another pastor who was, who was a younger pastor. He's in the millennial generation who I said, Hey, let me, let me play this for you. And you see if you ha- agree with this in my head, this younger millennial pastor agrees with John Cooper, 100%. In my mind, we said the exact same thing except that this pastor mm-hmm. said it where, as where I said, no, that doesn't make sense. The Bible says this and you get on board with it or you're, you're not following Christ. Well, this other pastor said it like this. Listen, no, you have to understand how much God, how he cares. And, and it's, that's how he said it. It took him 10 minutes to say what took right. me one minute, but we said the same stuff. <laughs> right. And you know what the person said? The person mm-hmm. said, well, John, I totally agree with that pastor. And I was like, okay, part of what we're dealing with here is in fact a major culture shift, major culture shift from generation X to the millennials and even more to, to the generation Zers. Part of what is happening is that this, these generations have been raised in such a fashion that masculinity is just, masculinity is deemed offensive. Not even the words you say, the way that you say it just feels offensive to them. And so I do think that a lot of pastors are trying to say, how can I possibly reach this generation if all that they hear from me is offensive stuff? Even if I don't say any words, even if I just say is, to them, it sounds like hate speech. (laughs) So I I do think it is very difficult. So I would encourage men who are listening. If you go to a church that sings worship songs that are, as you as you just heard described, right here in Undaunted, 
and you, you're trying to bridge a gap, maybe what I would say is try to have a little bit of grace that there are a lot of people that just don't understand how you would feel about it. At the same time, I would say to you the same thing that John Cooper said uh, to my pastors, which is, hey, some of these songs I'm just uncomfortable with. I don't, I don't believe them. I don't believe the lyrics. You know, I don't believe, for instance, without, I don't want to be too rude here, but one of the biggest songs in uh, the last few years was, um, you know, Reckless Love, uh, God's Reckless Love. And I, I just have a problem with that. His love isn't reckless and it diminishes God's sovereignty. It diminishes so many mm. things about the Lord. It diminishes the fact that he is in control of all things. I'm just not comfortable singing this, and I don't want to act like I'm not. So you have a conversation with your pastor about it, hopefully in a loving way, and say, hey, I want to sing songs about God that are true and that are not about me, but that are about him and his attributes. So I would say to you, I feel you. Try to hold a balance of having grace for people that disagree with you, but don't feel bad about bringing up the issue with your pastor. That's my little bit of right. advice. No, and, and what's funny is that was the exact advice I gave was, hey guys, if you have a problem with this, like voice it. Like don't be a jerk about it, but do voice that to them. And then I also put the onus on worship leaders because I got an email out of the blue from a worship leader. This was before I released this episode. And he said, Kyle, I just wanted to let you know I appreciate your content because ever since I've been listening to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast, I've been considering the men. Whenever I choose the songs at my church, I've been considering the lyrical content. I've been paying attention to the men. And so I put it on these pastors. It's like, look, I understand you're more artistic, you're more right-brained, but if you're soft, the rest of the men in the church can see that. If, if you're more feminine, the rest of the men in the church can see that also. If you're not connecting with the men that are in the crowd, you can see that too. And like they, they should be able to connect with what you're doing because they're not connecting with you. They should be connecting with the creator of everything, including you. And so, uh, you know, since yes. we're, we're on that topic, I, I, I guess I should ask this question about worship leaders because, and I don't know if you, you've talked necessarily about this, but it seems like, John, every few months, there's a very prominent worship leader or Christian artists of some kind that comes out as agnostic or as atheist, right? That's the new coming out. You're not coming out as gay. You're coming out as, you know, basically an atheist. Why do you think that we're seeing this trend now? Because I understand there's been a lot of cultural changes, but why, why do you think we're seeing so much of this happening? Yeah, it's really heartbreaking, isn't it? And I got to say, I think that's great advice, what you just said. I, I agree with that um, about the worship leaders, as you just said. So great stuff. Uh, I, I think that's a wonderful thing. It's heartbreaking. You know, there's so many reasons this is happening. Some of those things are just simply, it's the nature of the world right now, the ubiquitous nature of the internet. Anybody can say anything. Everybody has an influence. Everybody has a brand. And th th this generation was not taught worldview. So, so in their minds, look, in my mind, if I'm listening to some influencer, here I am, I come on undaunted, right? And I'm listening to you speak. Uh, I don't mean as John Cooper, I mean as a listener, I'm a fan, pull it up. And all of a sudden you come out and you start saying things that are clearly heretical and anti-biblical. Well, I just turned undaunted off. I don't want to listen to heretical nonsense, right? Not this generation. Mm -hmm. This generation of Christians goes, huh, that's an interesting point. I'll, I'll keep listening. And they just listen to everything and, and they fill their minds. 
They fill their minds with atheistic garbage, humanistic garbage, heretical stuff like Gunger's podcast, you know, Gunger, who will come on and talk about like, well, I, I mean, I, I'm, I don't believe in God anymore, but I still worship. You know, one time he was on a podcast talking about interesting it would be to to worship a God and masturbate at the same time. I heard this from a Christian friend and I said to my friend, I said, brother, why are you listening to heretical, satanic, idolatrous crap like that. Turn it off. Is that like, well, I'm kind of interested in what he had to say. Mm -hmm. Why? You know, you know who else was interested? Eve. <laughs> right, Eve was exactly. interested in what the serpent had to say. And look at look what happened. Turn it off. And so I think that because the ubiquitous nature of the internet, people are taking in everything and everything and everything. And they think they think that they are a clean slate. Like, like they're just a neutral background. And once I get all the information, I'll know what is true. I will just know what wisdom is. And that is not what the Bible says. We are, we are not a clean slate. We are born into sin. You are born into unrighteousness. And it is going to tickle your ears when you hear stuff that tells you what you want to believe rather than the word of God. So I think that happened with them. I also think that Christian music in general not just Christian music, but Christian worship music, itinerant pat speakers. You know, when I, if people don't know what itinerant speakers are, with all I mean is people who preach but are not part of a local church. They just travel constantly and they go everywhere and they go. They go to this church, that church, that church. A lot of times, all of that group of people don't have a local church and they don't have accountability and they are not being anchored in to relationship with brothers who can talk to them about how they are doing and, and encourage them in the faith. And you just get out there and you're an island. And before you know it, honestly, the enemy just works on you and the enemy chips away at your sanctification. He chips away at your holiness. He chips away at your thought life. And all that you ever hear is how amazing you are. You're amazing. Thank you so much for coming. You're, nobody sings like you. Nobody gives the truth like you. Before you know it, you become a big famous star and you're not a part of a body. So I think all those things play into mm -hmm. it. So we desperately need to go back to training up young people, whether whether those young people are in high school, whether they're going to be musicians, pastors, leaders, plumbers. I don't care who you are. We need to train these people in the word of God, because if you're if you are trained in the word of God, you will be unshakable. I love it. That's great stuff. No, I appreciate your perspective on all of that. But, you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't get to what a lot of people consider to be the best segment of the show. It's because this is the nuts and bolts. This is the meat and potatoes. It is a segment of the show called, What Would You Say to Someone That Said? And then I will fill in the blank and you've got to respond to that. And it might be a critique of you. It might be just a big topic. Who knows? But you've got 30 seconds to answer. What would you say to someone that said blank? And I've got a bunch of them ready to go. So you think you're up for it? I'm ready, baby. Come on now. Okay, let's do it. First one. Let's see how you do. What would you say to someone that said Satan works through rock music? Thus, Christians shouldn't play rock music. I would say Satan can work through just about anything. Uh, I would say that music is created not by the devil, created by the Lord. All things were created uh, by God. So instead of thinking that the devil owns a genre of music, I would say capture that music and bring it back into subjection under the Lordship of Christ. 
Second Corinthians 10, five. See, you're doing great already. Like that was the first one. We got a few more. You're already on a roll. Let's go. All right. What would you say to someone that said it is sinful for Christians to have tattoos? Oh, I understand why Christians think that because of the Old Testament. I would say that it probably takes a little bit of a longer explanation of Old Testament law and what it meant. But a short version would be there are some things in the Old Testament that that were a picture of of they, they were a picture of something in in the New Testament. There are some things that are not pictures, like murder. We don't murder. We don't steal. So on and so forth. Dietary restrictions, things like that, were a picture of something. Here's what God wanted: God wants to make His people set apart and holy unto His name. And I don't think that God does that any longer from the way that we look. He does that now because of Christ's work on the cross, His resurrection, and He sanctifies us, which it sets us apart from the sinner and the pagan. All right. Next rapid fire question here. What would you say to someone that said, I don't like Skillet's music? <laughs> I would say, good. Listen to Jeremy Camp. Listen to something else. <laughs> you know, music. Some people like mayonnaise. Some people like mustard. You should repent, but I forgive you. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's good. Hey, as long as they're forgiven, I guess it works out okay. Why not? I think so. All right. Next question here. What would you say to someone that said, who is John Cooper to criticize a pastor for trying to look cool? He wears eyeliner and crazy clothes when performing on stage. <laughs> well, let's see. I don't have eyeliner on, as you can see. Um, Not right now. No, for sure. Yes, that's right. No, I mean, I think that it's a different thing. I think that we should dress according to the calling that we have. And I'm not trying to be legalistic. I don't care if a pastor wants to wear jeans and a t-shirt, but I'm saying that you, you should look and act appropriate for your job. If you're a construction worker and you show up in a dress that feels something that's inappropriate. <laughs> All right, fair enough. We are halfway through. Let's keep going. What would you say to someone that said, reformed Christians don't really care about people. They more so care about being right. <laughs> I would say you're probably right. That's probably that's probably fair. <laughs> um, uh, and I'm joking. Uh, I am reformed. I'm about 90% reformed. So that's why I say they're right. Absolutely. Reformed people, in my humble opinion, I'm one of them. I'm one of you. Don't be mad. Do tend to come off a little bit like really what they just care about is dotting the I's and crossing the T's. So I would say this, we are all guilty of sinning every minute of every day. If we had any idea of how much we did not love others, all of us, we would celebrate God's grace even more. So I would probably say, yeah, I think there's probably a little bit of truth to that. But I also know a bunch of Reformed people who consider um, understanding the, who God is, 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 is how they worship him. They worship him by understanding who they are worshiping. And I think that that should be celebrated. All right. That question was for one of our listeners, Ryan Horn. He specifically uh, gets in arguments with me all the time about theological topics. So I thought that that was hilarious. So I took, a, I took a low key shot at him. So what would you <laughs> say to someone that said a good loving God couldn't send anyone to hell? First, you have to define what love is and you have to define what good is. And the problem is, is that we tend to uh, I have an idea of what I think good is, and then I take that idea, John Cooper's idea of good, and I put it into the Bible and say, that's what a loving God would be. A good. So I, what I would say to them is this, that God defines what good is, God defines what love is, and he is at all times loving, even when he sends someone to hell. 
All right, next question here. What would you say to someone that said, my pastor is cool. Should I leave my church? No, no, no. I think that just comes probably to semantics of what I intended cool to mean. If your pastor is someone that you get the feeling cares about his brand or how white his teeth are more than he cares about the word of God, then yeah, at that point you leave your church. But him being, quote, cool isn't really the issue. It's really about the heart. All right. The last and perhaps most important question of the day. What would you say to someone that said, you're not a real man unless you have a beard? <laughs> well, I always tell people this. A lot of girls don't like beards, but women do. <laughs> yeah, see, I like that. I like that for sure. So, I, I mean, again, we didn't get a lot of time to talk about your uh, your brand. of You've got your own line of beard oil and, and beard products. And guys, that's going to be in the uh, show notes as well. So you can check that out. It's called Hawk and Hatchet. Unfortunately, we don't have a ton of time to get into that. But guys, I would highly suggest that you take a look at those materials. But that is all for me. We, we've talked about a lot of different things in this podcast, and we really appreciate your time. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, I, I enjoy being here and I love what you're doing. I, I love the message and uh, all those dudes out there rocking. Hey man, live for Jesus. I love it. I hope to come back and uh, chat with y'all again. We will certainly make it happen. John Cooper, thanks for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. All right, all right. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode with John Cooper. We really do appreciate it. Man, we had a great time with him. We've got some more stuff coming up with John Cooper, so be on the lookout for that. Guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know by now, we are a men's ministry, and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically, we do that by providing you content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So I'm going to go through the links for you today. I've got a link to John Cooper's website. I've got a link to the Cooper Stuff podcast. You should definitely check that out. I've also got a link to the book, Awake and Alive to Truth finding truth in the chaos of a relativistic world. That is the book that we talked about ad nauseum. So I can get you to the website so you can pick that up. Also, I've got a link to the make pastors uncool again, Facebook posts, and then the Hawk and hatchet John Cooper signature line. So you can get your beard stuff going with his products. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I really do appreciate it. If you would please subscribe wherever you are listening to this show. We are everywhere. If we deserve a five-star review, please leave us one in a few sentences, letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2021. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast at your men's event at your team, just hit me up info at undaunted.life. The email is I N F O at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undaunted life or facebook.com backslash undaunted life. Check out our free devotionals on the Uversion Bible app. Just search undaunted life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Judah.